All right. Welcome back to week three of Modern Church. Good to see you this morning. If I've never met you before, I'm Pastor Tony. I'm the lead pastor here at Centennial, and we are delighted that you would be here this morning. Thanks for coming. Uh, I don't know if you guys recognize that we have a person from our congregation who has become a celebrity this week. Uh, we have Brent the Farmer with us today, everybody. And if you guys haven't seen this, he's been all over the place. Uh, there was a game the other day, and he was driving his tractor, and they started to play the national anthem. He got out of his tractor like any good American would, stood at attention, hand on his heart out in the field, and somebody happened to take a picture of it, and now it's viral. I mean, it's out there. I'm saying, uh, we're excited for Brent. He's got some opportunities coming up uh, to show that uh, he is a, a proud American, and we're proud of him. And so way to go, Brent. Good on you, as they would say in Australia. Uh, but it's, it's good to see you this morning. I hope you'll take advantage uh, of our host get-together next Sunday right after the morning service. And even if you're not sure if you want to be a small group host, for, uh, just for the experiment of five to six weeks, I hope you'll come find out more about it. And uh, don't come just to get a sandwich, okay? Come if you're really interested, and we really want you to come, and we're looking forward to it. I'm excited about our topic this morning, modern community. Just like modern issues are grounded in ancient issues, and modern truths are grounded in ancient truths, we'll see this morning that modern community is grounded in ancient community. And so let's travel back to the early days of the very first church, the church that Jesus started with a group of 12, and then it expanded to 70, and then 120 by the time of his ascension. And then on the day of Pentecost, we saw this last Sunday, uh, Peter preached, and 3,000 people received Jesus and were baptized and were added to the existing church in one day. Soon after, the disciples... Uh, were in trouble with some local authorities because they healed a lame man in front of the temple. And so they did something really good through God's power. But because they did it in Jesus' name and they preached about Jesus, they were ordered to shut it down. I don't know if you saw this week a high school football game here in the United States of America. A company paid $2,500 to have their, their logo uh, painted in both end zones as an advertisement. Uh, the name of the company had the word Christ in it. And the school district uh, made some kids go out and repaint the field and cover the, the emblems before the game because you can't have the name Christ in the end zone of the football field. And, and so it's happening right around us. But they were ordered to shut it down by the authorities or else. Now, we're going to read as we get started today in Acts chapter 4. Uh, if you have your Bible or your, uh, your phone or your tablet, just uh, open right up to Acts chapter 4. And we're going to find out the response that was taken by one group of people in this now very large church. So Acts chapter 4 and verse number 21. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man, the lame man, was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. And being let go, now look at this, they went to their own company. Okay, now this isn't a business. When it says they went to their own company, uh, they didn't go meet with all 3,000-something people from the church. They met with a group of people in the church. Okay? They met with a group of people who shared life together in a remarkable Jesus-centered manner. And so they met with their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, I love what they said, Lord... Thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? 
The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determine before to be done. Now look at verse 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. It's so interesting what they prayed for here. And I want you to remember this. The, the church, uh, the New Testament word is ecclesia. The ecclesia that Jesus started was not a building where people met. Okay, that, that term kirch is a German word that came along many, many centuries later. Uh, Jesus, he started a gathering, and it was an organic gathering of like-minded people. It wasn't a community organization. It was a spiritual organism defined and empowered by God. And, and Paul said in Acts 20 that he had taught the church at Ephesus publicly and from house to house in smaller groups. Uh, Acts 2 says that inside of the large congregation of people that were meeting in public, there were small groups of believers meeting in houses on a daily basis. They were experiencing worship together, fellowship, discipleship, ministry, and evangelism in these smaller groups of people. And they were actually using their God-anointed spiritual gifts in community with each other. Now, I want to just think about something this morning. During our morning service, which is our main public service of the week, everybody comes in here, and there's only one person that really does the talking, right? Everybody else sits in rows and looks at each other and looks at me and looks at your phone to see what the score of the game is, and uh, you didn't, thought I didn't know about that, right? Um, but we, we all kind of sit in rows, and, and look, uh, not, nothing wrong with that. We have to have a public corporate worship time where we come together. That's a good thing. And we shouldn't forsake the assembling of that. But when we do it this way, there's really at this point in time right now, one person in this room using his spiritual gifts. One out of this whole crowd. But when we come together like they did in community, in close-knit groups of two, three, six, eight, ten people, Everybody in the group has an opportunity to use his or her spiritual gift. And so we're going to be talking about that this morning because it's so exciting what was taking place. So as we introduce this message, I want you to go with me to Romans chapter 12 for just a moment. We're going to come back to Acts 4. We have some more reading to do there a little bit later in the message. Romans chapter 12. And in Romans 12, there is... A passage that lays out for us how we serve each other in the local assembly. How we serve each other in the local church. Romans 12, verse number 3. For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members of one another. And then it goes through this list of seven spiritual gifts. And if you're a believer in Jesus, you have at least one of these gifts sitting here today. Uh, some of you uh, have this first gift, prophecy, where you boldly proclaim faith. You're willing to just go up and tell it like it is to people around you, uh, not in a mean-spirited way, not, not in a way that's going to uh, turn their stomach because you're fleshly and you're, uh, you're kind of a brute force, but in a spiritual way, uh, the gift of prophecy. Some of you have, verse 7, the gift of ministry. You love to serve other people. God's given you that. Some of you have the gift of teaching where you can explain the scriptures and people have a light bulb go off in their mind. It's, whoa, that's what it means. 
that some of you have the gift of exhortation. That means you come alongside other people and encourage them in their faith, and you walk with them on their journey. Some of you have the gift of giving. That doesn't mean that uh, only you should be givers. We all should be givers. But what it means is that you have a special capacity to see needs and meet needs. Uh, uh, some have the gift of ruling, right? Now, that word can be taken out of context. Uh, it doesn't mean that we're supposed to, like, beat each other over the head, okay? How many of you, be honest, you, when, you were still in, when you were in school, the teacher still used her or his ruler to hit kids with in class? Okay, quite a few, quite a few. That guy back there got hit a lot, I'm guessing. The guy, the guy in the bow tie, he raised his hand like he was about to get hit with one. He's like, I'm about to get busted again. Uh, the gift of ruling or administration, and then the gift of mercy. The gift of mercy is where you feel empathy for the needs of others. And because of that, you come alongside of them and pray with them, and you're there for them. Now, let's look at, the, at what happens now, how we take these gifts and we use them. Verse 9. Uh, let love be without dissimulation. That means without hypocrisy. Abhor or hate that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. So this is instructions to the local church. It's instructions to us, how we're supposed to treat each other. And this morning, I, I want us to ask and answer four important questions about modern community <coughs> here in the local church. Let's start with this question. Who is God? Who is God? It's a question of authority. And the answer is meaning. All meaning comes from the fact that God is our authority. All right, so we're going to go back to Acts 4, and uh, we'll look a little further into the passage now in Acts 4. Yeah, this group from the Jerusalem church <coughs> had been threatened by the authorities. I'm going to pop a cough drop in, everybody. Thank you, Chuck. Chuck's my cough drop supplier back there. He's my constant recola man. Uh, back in Acts 4, though, there's a church, uh, church, whole church doesn't know about this, but this one group of people, this one company in the church went back to their meeting place, probably somebody's house. They had just been told by the authorities not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. And I want you to notice again the response. As they recognized God's authority, it brought meaning to their situation. Look at verse 24. God, Lord, thou art God. You've made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. And they said, God, you're ultimate, you're supreme, you're the authority. You made everything, including us. You control kings and rulers. There's no authority bigger than you. There's no authority that can even begin to compare to you. Now look at their request, verse number 28. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold your threatenings. Grant unto us that with all boldness we may speak your word. Look, they didn't ask God to take the circumstance away. Have you ever found that that's a lot of times what our praying is? Oh, God, take away my situation. <clears throat> Right? Oh God, take away my circumstance. Take away my trial. Take away my ordeal. Take away my pain. Take away my problem. And sometimes we miss this point of God's sovereignty and his supremacy and how big he is. And they didn't ask God to change the situation. They said, God, look what's going on. 
and give us boldness to speak truth. Give us power to heal those who are hurting. Show Jesus through us. What if in every situation we went before God and we said, God, you're God, you're great, you're, you're the best, you're, you're all powerful. And don't take away my situation, use my situation for your glory. That'd be huge, wouldn't it? Now that's his who is God. When we understand who God is, it brings crystal clear vision to our lives. God's authority is what helps us to know who we are. And the major issues of life and community fall into place when we know God's authority. It is our shared belief in God that first brings us together in Christian community. All commonality begins through him. And without Jesus, we're coming together for no reason. Right? If we didn't have Jesus, there's no reason for us to come together today. But we have him, and as Ephesians 4 says, with all loneliness and meekness and with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And then it says this. I love this. There's one body and one Spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, the Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And unity in Jesus is the starting place of all Christian community. If we don't help other people answer the question, who is God? We won't be able to answer any of their other big questions. Pastor, if I raise my finger, will God know which one I'm going to raise even before I raise it? 13-year-old Steve attended church every week with his parents. This particular Sunday, he stayed after to ask the pastor this pressing question. And the pastor answered, yes, God knows everything, Steve. Steve then pulled out the latest issue of Life magazine. The front cover had two starving, bloated, dying African children. And he asked, well, does God know about this? And what's going to happen to those kids? And the pastor gave a similar response. Steve, I know you don't understand, but yes, God knows about that. Now, if you were Steve, would you be satisfied with that answer? Well, Steve wasn't. He walked out that day and he never went back to church. Here's the good news. Steve was drawn like a magnet to the faith community because he was looking for answers to life's big problems. Here's the bad news. The pastor's rehearsed reply didn't satisfy his curiosity at all and permanently pushed him away. See, for whatever reason, the pastor failed to grasp the question behind the question. Steve wasn't just asking about information on suffering. Behind his question about African children was a desire to know why God had allowed suffering in his life. Why there was bullying at school. Why he had financial struggles at home. Why he'd been put up for adoption by his birth parents. And he wasn't just trying to make sense of pain in the world. He was trying to make sense of his own pain. And maybe you've heard of Steve. Uh, his last name was Jobs. Founder and CEO of Apple. But what if his questions had been taken seriously by the faith community? I wonder how God could have used him in the kingdom work. For whatever reason, no adult went deep enough to hear the inner cries that were in his heart. And Steve Jobs died in 2011, a miserable lack of peace in his soul. 
Now listen, the questions about God's authority and goodness aren't always easy to answer, but they're always the ones that speak to the deepest issues in our lives. If we don't trust in God's authority, our lives have no meaning. And we have to come before God and say, God, I don't really understand this, but you're God and you made everything, including me. And I'm not going to ask you to take away the situation. I'm going to ask you to make me bold. I'm going to ask you to move hearts. So proud of my wife. Since April, beginning of April, we've had a little foster baby at our house, Titus. And Titus is uh, related to two of our kids by birth mother. Titus came into care with a broken arm and a huge meth count. And he's doing great. He's been uh, just really growing and safe and wonderful and crawling all over the place. Tomorrow, he goes to court. Think about it. Say a little prayer at night in the morning. But it looks like right now, he's going to leave our care and he's going to go back to his birth mother. And my wife, a few weeks ago, she came home with a total different perspective on this. And she said it could be that God's going to use that little baby to reach his birth mother and her family for Jesus. And I have to confess to you, that was a whole lot more mature faith outlook that I personally had that I personally have. My faith outlook is this little boy needs to be safe and let's keep him here long term. And then our five-year-old, I'm on the way to school with her and she says, Dad, if Titus goes back to his birth mom, we're going to pray that she gets saved. Like, who told her that? I called Amy. Do you tell Sophie this stuff? No. I wonder who told her. Maybe somebody who knows, God, you made everything. You're above all. Don't take away the situation. Make us bold. Make us healers. Make us grace. Make us the hands and feet of the Savior we claim to be children of. So there's this big question in faith community who is God but then we got to ask this next question because this really gets to the the point of, of where so many people are who am I who am I yeah that question is all about identity identity is such a big thing in our day the question's about identity but the answer is all about grace you can only know who you are once you know who God is and you can only know who you are if you receive grace. If we don't receive grace, we're in big, big trouble. You know, people of all ages are searching for the same things. Things like meaning and purpose and community. Do you know, it seems that many in younger generations have relational and self-image struggles that keep these identity issues at a constant churning boil, right? Uh, we, we hear more about suicide <clears throat> in this time than, than any generation has ever heard. The me questions have to be answered with empathy. And this generation is, is unique in its progression toward maturity. Now, maturity seems to have been lengthened in modern times. What do you mean? I mean, there's a later finish line, okay? The average age of first marriage for a woman is now 26.5 years old. For a man, it's 28.7 years old. That's five years later than it was in 1970, okay? In 1970, the average woman got married at 21 years old. The average man got married at 23. Uh, we also 
find that the average age for women bearing their first child now is 26 years, five years later than 1970. And uh, my mom was actually the exact average age of women were supposed to be when I was born in 1972. She was 21 years old. Uh, and she had been married for two years. So she's kind of, how many of you, this is just a poll, how many of you got married before the age of 20? Okay, married before the age of 20? Okay. How many got married before the age of 24? Okay, so society has a later finish line. But here's what's interesting. We also find a later starting line. Here's what's unique about this generation. Now, there's an earlier starting line. What's that mean? It means this. The onset of adolescence has plummeted three or four years, both physically and biologically, uh, and psychologically, especially for girls. At 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, now, you're seeing adolescence begin. And young people carry more access to the, the depravity of this world on their mobile devices than their parents could ever possibly fathom. Many parents get blindsided by their own kindness in allowing their kids to have these devices. And so younger than ever kids are exposed to worse than ever information. And here's what's crazy, though. At 25, they still rely on those same parents to fund their mobile plan for access. All right, so... 15 is the new 25, but 25 is also the new 15. Right? It's a paradox, so we're right in the middle of it. 13 to 17-year-olds are more likely to feel extreme stress than adults. And most adults are often blind to those stress levels. The identity issues of 2018 are massive, but the answer to this is always grace. Grace found in Jesus. Grace found in Christian community. The old gospel song said this about Jesus. He looked beyond my fault and saw my need. And Ephesians 4, which we mentioned earlier, goes on to say in verse 7, that unto every one of us, children of God, is given grace. According to the measure of the gift of Christ. Where do we find this grace? Only in Christ and Christianity. There is no other belief system in the world that's founded upon grace. Not one. Only Christianity. Only Jesus. Look at Acts 4.32 now. I'm going to back up to 31 because I don't think I read this verse and it's so good. And when... They had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. So their prayer got answered. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. So this is communism, not communism, commonism. Okay, they made things in common because they wanted to, not because the government made them. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And look at this. And great grace was upon them all. See, these early believers found their identity in Jesus by grace. Who am I? We ask that question so often. Young people answer that ask that question so often. Who am I? Oh, oh, what's the meaning in my life? Who am I? Yeah, you know who I am? I'm a child of the king. You know who you are if you're a child of God? You're a son or daughter of the most high God. You have been blessed with grace. Now, there's another question that, that co comes into our society so often. It's this next question. Where do I fit in? Where do I fit in? So, Identity is a big question. Another question, big question, is belonging. Where do I belong? And the answer is grounded in love. So identity is grounded in grace. Belonging is grounded in love. You know, interaction with the family of God offers meaning in the search 
for us. Identity is the search for me. Belonging is the search for us. The search to connect. The search for meaningful relationships. Everybody wants to belong. But the quest toward belonging is being pushed back by some of our modern issues. It's being uh, just really devastated by some of our modern issues. And kids are being socially overstimulated at the same time that they're being relationally undersupported. Here's what I mean. 92% of teens report going online at least once per day. 92%. 24% say they are online almost constantly. 71% of teens use more than one social media platform to keep in touch with friends. Now, <clears throat> the truth is some of you MySpace people didn't even know there were more than one social media platform. Some of you have no idea what MySpace is, right? Okay, well, where are you going back like 15 years on that one? How many had a MySpace back in the day? Okay, do you know Facebook's outdated now? Right? If you want to be hip, you got to use what, kids? See, that? It, did you parents hear? Because it's out of the mouth of babes. They're telling you right now. 71% of teens have more than one social media platform. The median number of texts sent and received per day for the average teen at 14 years old, 30 texts. Okay, now, that means that 14-year-olds have a phone, if you know what I'm saying. A lot of 10-year-olds have phones. But you know that number increases to 50 per day for 15 to 17-year-old girls. And parents are navigating questions about kids' use of technology on a daily basis. Now, I'm just going to throw in something free, okay? This is from the pastor. It's not from the Bible. I would definitely recommend that you never allow your teens to have online devices in their bedrooms. Uh, our rule has always been, don't take it in your room and don't take it in the restroom. Have it plugged in to the designated plugs by 9 p.m., the designated plugs are right by our bedroom. <clears throat> okay, the, listen, I, I'm not trying to be mean to kids. You say, Pastor, you don't trust your kids. And you know what I say? You're exactly right. And I'll tell you why. Let me tell you why. The best of kids can end up in the worst of situations if they have online devices in secret, especially after mom and dad go to bed. There's nothing good that's going to happen with your kid on the internet after 10 o'clock at night. Not one good thing. You say, well, I trust him. Well, if you knew how to do some app searching and some ghost app searching and some internet searching, you may not trust him so much. 68% or about 70% of teenage boys are exposed to pornography before the age of 12 years old in our society. I'll tell you this, 100% of kids will do the wrong thing, given enough opportunity. And here's what I've found, 100% includes my kid. 100% includes your kid. And Paul said, make not provision for your flesh to fulfill its lusts. Now, the tempting thing for older generations to do, because some of your older generations are like, Social media, phones, blah, 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 blah. Put the phone down. Right? That's the only thing that some of the older generations know to say. Put that thing down. But better than saying that, could I give you some other free advice? Better than saying that is understand why they hunger so much for digital connection and why that sometimes artificial connection doesn't leave them feeling full inside, but it leaves them feeling empty. That emptiness is especially present in young people who are lacking real-time physical adult interaction. That means that they actually talk to other humans, right? And they won't be able to have wholesome relationships uh, that they need over phones and over tablets. They need you. They need parents. They need community. We need each other. 
Young people need support. Here, here's a question. See if you've ever thought of it. Have you ever wondered in the story? Uh, remember the story in Luke 2? Jesus gets lost from his parents. He's 12 years old. Ever thought about this? Where, where did he sleep for three days? Right? Uh, who made sure he was safe? Uh, who fed 12-year-old Jesus? I mean, have you ever fed a 12-year-old boy? Right? Some of you parents had more than one teenage boy at one time. And I would just say, bless your heart. Uh, goodness gracious. There was a community of support here. We need the same thing. We already have structures in place. We have a youth group for teens. And get those teens to youth group where they can interact in person with adult mentors and other teens. Do you know one of our mentors now is Brent the Farmer? He's one of our teen mentors. If you want your kid to stand at attention for the flag and for Jesus in his life, get him close to Brent the Farmer. Where's that happen, youth group? Look, they need adult mentors and teens where they can talk out loud about life's deepest issues for today. And that's not happening in the average school classroom, especially from a biblical worldview. You know, the gospel isn't simply something from 2,000 years ago or from 2,000 years from now. It's for today. The Fuller Youth Initiative asked 500 youth group seniors what they wish they had more of in youth group. Now, you guys probably would have all these ideas. What do they wish they had more of in youth group, right? Donuts, you know, uh, games, whatever. Uh, the 13 options provided, here was the top answer. 500 youth group seniors, top answer, deep conversation. You know why? Because they're not getting it a lot of times from mom and dad. You know what the second one was? Mission trips. They want to be exposed to what's out there. Third, service projects. You know what was last on the list? Games. See, youth group is an important time for conversation about faith and about doubt. And Luke, youth group isn't a privilege that you give or take away from your kids. It's not a once-in-a-while convenience. It's a priority. And there shouldn't be a maybe in this scenario. But you know, youth group conversations aren't enough to get young people where they need to be. Parents, you can't set good boundaries for teens without real conversations on your own. First we connect, and then we correct. So you could write that down even. Good stuff. First we connect, then we correct. And rules without relationships breed rebellion in our lives. But conversation about life has to happen on a regular basis, and it's not easy. How many understand that some teenagers open up very slowly, right? You may talk to the same kid for a hundred hours before he lets you know what's really going on in here. How many understand a hundred hours is a long time, right? It's going to take a huge time investment to get to the hearts of kids, and we can all have a part in connecting with those who are younger than we are. Let me challenge all of you with some low-hanging fruit, okay? Learn a young person's name. Just one. Just one. Build a quality relationship with one young person. Just one. Look around right now for a young person. Take an interest. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. You know, we have to provide that support beyond the teen years as well. Think about it. We have daycare centers, schools, uh, youth group, college, institutions, all the way until young adults reach 21, and then we provide nothing. Right at the time when they're about to make all their major life decisions. And we have to keep people of all ages in community. 
because that's where we find out how we fit and how we belong. And when somebody is saying, I hate myself, she needs the body of Christ to call back, you are loved. And if God so love us, we ought also to love one another. When somebody says, I don't matter, Christian community reminds him, you have a purpose. God has good plans for you. And when they feel like they don't fit in, we have a Christian mandate to show them how they belong, as we read in Romans 12. And when he's saying, I want to give up, the accountability of believers is there to call out, you have a choice and we're here to help. And when she says, I'm useless, we're there to remind her you're needed and God wants to use you to comfort others in the way you've been comforted. The local church is a place to belong. And warmth must be the DNA of the church family. As a person grows to between five and seven friendships in a church, that person will begin to blossom and mature. Here's a crazy stat. I shared this with the, the group in the first hour. Listen to this. If a person has not made seven relational connections in the first year of attending a church, he or she will almost certainly leave at the end of that time. Wow, that's big. We have to make sure that we interact with other people. Don't let people around you slip through the cracks. There are people sitting within two rows of you right now that maybe you've never taken the time to meet. And here's the thing, they sit there every week because we're creatures of habit. And I can look around the room and most of you sit in the same chair every week. That's why I know when there's marker on it where it came from. Look, I get that you can't know everybody. You know the average person can only remember about 65 people in church by name. You can't know everybody, but you can know somebody. And if you really, really focus, you could probably even know eight to ten somebodies. Look, we don't want to be a church with small groups. We want to be a church of small groups. You know, we want to help people belong in this family. And that means that we're close without being closed off to others. God didn't call us to be in cliques. He called us to be in loving, meaningful relationships like the ones that they had. Look at Acts 4.34. <clears throat> Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. They really belonged in a group. Here's the last question as we get out of here today. Why am I here? Why am I here? It's one of the cornerstone questions of life. It's a question of purpose. And the answer is in mission. This generation's hunger for purpose is often left unsatisfied. With people left to wonder how they can make a difference. And participating in a biblical Christian community feeds this craving. Uh, living in a book of Acts, New Testament style group, keeps you grounded in faith and it gives you big picture vision. And you remember that life isn't all about you, it's all about Jesus. And you remember that you aren't here to please yourself, you're here to serve God by serving. Good work, young man. I like that. Uh, the people in that Jerusalem church said, God, you're sovereign. You know everything. Give us boldness to speak Jesus. And they understood their purpose because they had recognized God's authority. They understood their identity through God's grace. And they understood their sense of belonging by God's love. Groups and churches like this one in Acts went on to turn the world upside down. Through the power of Christ. And no matter what age or stage of life you're in, if you want purpose, go all in on Christ's mission. Because people with eternity in view are the most joyful, fulfilled beings on the planet. Here's today's big truth. We all need to be in communities we can't control. 
with people chosen by God, not us. That's what the local church is. It's a group of, un, it's a group of believers united by the authority of Jesus. Sometimes we get the idea that things would be better someplace else. Some other church, some other marriage, some other job, some other relationship. But that idea is an illusion. See, when you get to someplace else, guess who will still be there? You. Right? When you get someplace else, you'll still be there. There's no escape from yourself. Instead of trying to control every environment and relationship in your life, you have to yield to God's will by faith. Because God sometimes puts people in your life who will challenge you. Maybe they'll challenge your patience. Maybe they'll challenge your ideas. Maybe they'll challenge your faith. Maybe they'll challenge your ministry. I've found over 24 years of ministry that sometimes they will challenge your sanity. But God puts them all there to help us grow or to help them grow or both. And in the Jerusalem church, more importantly, in this specific company of group of people in the church, they had all things common. They set aside the secrets and they found complete unity in Jesus. And obviously, they didn't all have the same personalities and interests, but they all had one Lord, one faith, one mission. Let me give you today's faith challenge. It's a question. Am I willing to know the reality of others and also authentically be known? And let me stop you right there. Don't close anything. I'm just helping you. Don't close anything. It's okay. It's okay. It's really okay. You don't have to close anything right now. It's okay. Oh, it's okay. I'm serious. See, what people do is, is once they get that last blank, they shut down the message. They shut down their heart. They shut down their ears. And what I've determined is if I hear it again, I'm going to preach for 40 more minutes. Because I love you. We have to be in communities. Listen, we have to be in communities where we're willing to know and be known. At the end of Acts 4, there's this guy that comes on the scene, verse 36. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite out of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. At the end of Acts 4, Barnabas is highlighted for opening himself up to the needs of the church. But in Acts 5, if you keep reading, there's another couple that comes on the scene called Ananias and Sapphira. And they try to portray themselves as something that they're not. It's okay for them to know, but they don't want to be known because they're hypocrites. And the apostle asked Ananias, did you really sell your land for this much? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A few seconds later, you're not going to believe this, but it really happened. Read Acts 5. Boom! Ananias is down. He's not down just for a while. He's down for good. As they would say in the South, he gone. <laughs> a few hours later, here comes Sapphira. Comes up to the altar, lays down the gift. The apostle says, uh, did you sell the land for this much? Oh, yeah, yeah, we sold the land for this much. Didn't you see it on Facebook? And we posted it the day we did it. I put it on Instagram. It's a new story. I Snapchatted it. Didn't you see all the... Boom! She gone too. God killed them both. Why? Because they were not authentic in community. On the one hand, Barnabas seeks to know and be known. On the other hand, Ananias and Sapphira don't care about being authentic. They're trying to put forth a phony image of how sacrificial and compassionate they are. 
God wants us to know and be known. It's one of the key components of Christian community. We're called to confess our own faults for the sake of accountability and support and authenticity. And we're also called to restore those who have been overtaken by faults. That's knowing and being known. It's what being a part of a small group is all about. Uh, Pastor Cole mentioned next Sunday there's a special lunch right after the service for group hosts. But if you're willing to commit to biblical community we talked about today, uh, with two, three, four other people, I hope you'll talk to him out in the lobby after the service and sign up uh, as a host for Fall Campaign. Let's close by saying this. God wants us to keep sharing the gospel. He wants us to grow larger in the church, but he also wants us to live accountable lives and grow smaller at the same time with authentic, spirit-filled groups where we can practically use our spiritual gifts for his glory. Some of you, God gifted you with a spiritual gift the moment you trusted Christ, every one of us. Some of you have never once really used your spiritual gift because you've never been in a legitimate Christian community. And I'm telling you, God wants you to be a part. He wants you to be a part. I love what they're doing up in the transformation ministry in the first hour. It is a Christian community that's being banded together. And Roe and Jessica are doing such a good job with leading that. Uh, we've been having some of the groups over to our house these last few weeks. And I just love the community that's taking place. I'm not just talking about people who are friends. I'm talking about friends who are closer than a brother because of Jesus. And you know, God wants to do that in all of our lives. There's something in your life today that God may be saying to you, and it could be that he wants you to look around and meet a few people. He wants you to know and be known. He wants you to look for somebody who's younger than you. For some of you, a young person's 55. Just saying. Uh, for some of you who are 55, a young person's 32. Uh, if you're 32, you feel like you're old, but you need to look for a 16-year-old. Look for somebody that you can be an encouragement to just by knowing his name. Know his name. That's important. And God wants to work in us. Let's pray. Father, we leave this place today. We know that your Holy Spirit is working in some way on each heart. There are some in this place today who have never received you into their lives. They don't really understand what being your child is. And I pray that you'd keep working in that heart, that that heart would continue to question, who is God? Who am I? Where do I belong? Because those questions all lead to the meaning of you. And Lord, I pray for all of us that we would be in faith community so that we can know and be known so that we can serve you by serving others. We ask these things in Jesus' name.